Hello and welcome to the Stories from Foster Care podcast, brought to you by the Irish Foster Care Association. I'm Andrew Murphy and on this episode I'm talking to Harold Barber and Michael Shannon, a couple who provide supported lodgings and foster care. We said it to him because uh, they, they thought we were brothers, right. you know, and uh, I just said, you know, will you please tell him we are a couple, yes. we're together mm-hmm. and it's better to be honest and maybe that was our apprehension, but when that was conversation was over, it was over, yes. you know. The first lad that came, the night he arrived, that was the, the night I had a, a, a young Afghani boy up just to, to chat to him, just mm-hmm. to help him and maybe answer, answer questions for us on him. That night he was saying, no, he didn't want to stay, he wanted to go back to Dublin. And we said, well, listen, let's talk about it in the morning. Mm-hmm. And this wee friend took him to the mosque the next day and he came home from that mosque, saw the community of people and said, no, I'm fine here. We had a very illuminating conversation about the experiences of the young people they have had in their care. I hope you enjoy listening. Good morning, Michael and Harold. Uh, thank you so much for being with me here this morning. Uh, you made quite the journey across the country to meet with me, and I really, really appreciate it. Um, so our first question, or I suppose to start kick off, is to kind of look at what brought you to fostering? Could you tell me both or either of you, what was your initial kind of thinking or what inspired you to go take the step into fostering? Um, I suppose I'll take that one, Andrew, in that um, I'm a social worker mm-hmm. um, by profession and I was, um, I just uh, started in Sligo and there was a new initiative being set up there through the aftercare team okay. um, who were looking to looking for people to provide supported lodgings. So it was really for uh, young people over 18. Um, so I thought it was... You know, there would be all of that kind of thing. I could do that. But uh, we I just thought it would be a nice way in. And, and having worked in that area, I realised that a lot of the young people who needed sort of support post-care, um, um, there were, were great young people and all they needed was a, a, was a chance. Mm-hmm. So that was, I suppose, the start. It was that a new initiative being set up by Sligo and made some inquiries and then spoke to to Michael about it and then he can tell you where we went from there. So Michael, when when Harold approached you or said this might be something we'd like he'd like to do, how did you feel about that or what was your reaction to that? Yeah, uh, Andrew, I wasn't very proactive about it. Mm-hmm. I certainly as a gay man had never thought of both of us fostering or even uh, fostering per se. But, you know, maybe that was a good reaction yeah. because I went full circle and through conversation with Harold, obviously he had a lot of insight and expertise, talking to, to people like Sharon, who runs the support for aftercare and also her colleagues and getting information sure. and uh, talking to people that had been in the situation certainly empowered me or helped me think more proactively about it. I see that as a positive thing, not so, negative, actually. Absolutely, you know? I agree with you. Yeah. Questions are always really important at the beginning, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so 
so then the next steps after that then you applied any particular challenges you you mentioned there that you're you're both um in a loving relationship two men any particular challenges in that process in coming forward and applying to become foster cares or any considerations you had well maybe I'll, i'll take this and then hand it over to harold um I think, you know, being very honest, we're, we're very fortunate in the context that we've been together 28, 29 years. Harold put me right on that. And we have a very, very supportive family mm-hmm. and absolutely amazing friends and a great community where we live. And that's all very, you know, important. But as you go through this process, it's even more important and uh, once Harold and I had agreed that we would go for the assessment initially to see if we were suited and be approved, we then communicated with our families and friends who, and community who were just absolutely amazing. Um, I don't know about Harold, but your view? I, I suppose I looked at it purely from with my social work head on me, really, to mm-hmm. be honest, in that... I never really thought about the the gay issue okay. too much mm-hmm. um, because, again, I just felt I, I was looking at maybe selfishly in that it was sort of an easy route into fostering mm-hmm. in that it was we were really specifically being assessed for over 18s. Okay. So I just felt with that they will be to an extent responsible for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never looked, the, the gay issue wasn't too, wasn't huge for me. It was like, like kind of the training, getting it done, that kind of thing. And and the next step was when, when Michael sort of came round to the idea was uh, some training mm-hmm. and then an assessment. But Michael forgot to tell you that he was living in the Middle East. Yeah, okay. So I did a lot of, I won't say that work, but that kind of preparation, mm-hmm. we were kind of doing it in isolation really. Uh, Michael on our own. Michael was in the Middle East. I was at home. I did the training. We did the assessment. Sort of. Were you home for that, yeah. or did we do it online? I no. can't remember exactly. In person. Yeah. Okay, so that was sort of done in in person together. So, and in my head, I knew that while it was a new initiative being set up in Sligo, I thought. And again, from working in the field, I knew that there w- it wasn't a huge uptake. So I knew mm. that there was it was going to maybe, maybe be a slow burner. Sure. You know, that we would we would be assessed, we would hopefully be approved, and then we might be sitting waiting for goodness knows how long mm-hmm. until a young person w- would come. Um, so in relation to the, this was to, to answer your question, Andrew, in relation to the, from it, us being two men, I didn't give it too much consideration. That's great. Um, that came sort of later, and we can talk about that yeah. later. Yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of yeah. sort of maybe apprehension might be the word came mm-hmm. at a later stage for me anyway. Okay. But I think just, uh, you know, for, for your listeners, it, it, it's an important thing to, to share that my perception, which was wrong, is that maybe gay people couldn't yes. foster, you know, and maybe that was why it was never also on my agenda. Mm-hmm. But certainly with the support of Sharon and her staff, Michelle and Nicola, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, education and understanding uh, that who can do it, you know, that yeah. we live in a, the 21st century here now. And, and uh, so, so 
that was really important to to understand that before you start the assessment. For me personally, I know Harold has a lot of experience as a social worker, but I don't, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and part of me was reluctant to ask that question almost because it seems such a, it's a thing of the past in lots of ways. But for some people, it's not. And I think we do have to acknowledge that mm. it is something that we do have to mm. think about sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not always, we shouldn't, mm. but something we have to think about sometimes. Mm. Well, you do, Andrew, and and sorry if I cut across no, you there, fine. because, you know, I've been thinking a little bit about for today, and I think identity mm. as, as a principle is, is really important, but really important for the people that we look after, that yes. we'll, we'll talk about later on. But, you know, certainly... Over the years, the challenge for me was about identity of being a gay man, married, uh, living in the community, work, etc. And yes, thank God, you know, legislation and the Ireland has changed so much. But you also have to be respectful that some people may not have the same values as yourself. And, and I think if you've certainly fostering has brought in the importance of identity and also for the people you're looking after and, and the communities you're, you're within is a really, really important point, I think. Yeah, and I think that's something we've learned because mm. we've had to as people mm. growing up, but also it's a comfort factor. So yeah. I hope that's a strength. Yeah. And I think you're right. It is something that people have to learn growing up, I'm sure, mm. when they go through that process of coming out and establishing their identity in, in their family and in the community. So, yeah, it's... Um, and then I, I can imagine that being foster carers, there's another, I suppose, constant coming out in that sense um, in terms of the children that come into your life mm-hmm. and maybe dealing with their history or who their identity. So I'm sure it's very... It's, mm-hmm. It has to be part of your, your thinking and, you know, how you approach things. Um, I really appreciate that you're sharing that with us. You mentioned there, Harold, that about some of the apprehensions that you had that maybe followed or came later on mm. around that. I don't want to dwell on it too much because it's not that's what we want to talk about today. Yeah. But what 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 do you mean by that, or could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, I suppose just to start with, I as I said, I had my social work hat on me, so I kind of thought, yeah, we can do this. Not maybe think, and maybe to an extent, kind of pushing that view on Michael in the beginning. Yeah, we can do this. What's the apprehension about? Mm. And maybe not thinking as as deeply maybe as Michael did about it. But so to, to just to answer your question in relation to the apprehension was, so we became approved foster care. No, we became approved supported lodgings carers, okay. which meant 18 plus in the Sligo area. In some areas of the country, supported lodgings are 16 plus. So, but Sligo kind of held tight that it had to be over 18 but it was only when we were asked to take under 18-year-olds that sort of, oh, that sort of, do they know they're coming to a gay couple? Mm-hmm. So I suppose that's where the apprehension came. Mm-hmm. And especially because we became approved with the team for separated children mm-hmm. in Dublin who take in, who look after a specific team just who, who, who are responsible for all the unaccompanied minor children sure. who come into the country. So they were under 18 mm-hmm. and many and, and not to stereotype but um, many would have been from Muslim backgrounds yes. and and I suppose we our ignorance would be you know how, you know this this fear of maybe not maybe fear isn't the right word but apprehension mm-hmm. about how they might see us as a gay couple yeah uh, so that's where it came from you know yeah. Yeah. and then again the 
since then we have had you know Ukrainian children we now have a, an Irish uh, lad who's who's 16 and again it's how they will feel but but believe it or not it's our issue mm-hmm. the, many of these young people couldn't give to tosses about it so it's 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 kind of our own inbuilt homophobia around that as opposed to the young people themselves i think you're you're so right harold i think the young people are leading the charge on this aren't they they're really teaching us about how how to be around all of that and we're unpacking our own stuff as we go and so yeah i really i do agree with you there um but even at that i mean i can only imagine that trying to get that right must be an added an added not stress but you know consideration yeah. um in your fostering in your fostering journey it, your it is but i i think how you get around that is that that you know both of us have to be singing from the same hymn sheet yeah. obviously but i i'm what comes into my mind i'm just thinking of the the two gentlemen that we have at the minute uh, fabulous young men from afghanistan and as Harold said, I had worked in the Middle East, so I'd be very conscious of, of, of their beliefs and, and respectful, hopefully. But when they came, we didn't know what to say or how to manage it to a certain degree, and we had talked about it. And we had, uh, Harold had organised a colleague from Sligo down, uh, who was an Afghanistan lad who could speak English in their language. And uh, uh, we said it to him, because uh, they, they thought we were brothers, right. you know, and uh, and then, you know, impulsively, rightly or wrongly, I hopefully rightly, I just said, you know, would you please tell him we are a couple, yes. we're together mm-hmm. and it's better to be honest. And maybe that was our apprehension. Mm-hmm. But when that was conversation was over, it was over, yes. you know. So um, I think, as Harold said, sometimes it's our own anxiety or, or confusion around these things and, and really it's about communication it's easier said than done and, and a level of honesty but you I suppose are in a very a unique position fostering is very unique mm. anyway but you're you know you're two men and you're taking children in from from overseas and there might be cultural mm-hmm. misunderstandings and that that example there of your brothers it's and you had to clarify that yeah. but I think really well done on that. Really, really clear that you you, you approached it from the beginning. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's you know there's lots of uh, pitfalls along the way um, in relation to all of that. So well done on on that. Um, just in terms, I suppose going back a little bit, you were talking about, you know, um, Michael, you were talking about maybe not seeing yourself as a father mm. growing up, or you mm. know, and you are very much, I'm sure, mm. have a father. F- figure role in people's lives mm. um what's that like for you my reaction to that would be and hopefully this might very briefly explain um is that when people say to us god you're great mm-hmm. and i know they genuinely mean that and and it's it is a privilege for harold and i to to as a gay couple to to foster these people but it actually is what they give us yes and I think to try and uh, explain that in the context of your question, you know, what's it like to be a father? Uh, you know, I have wonderful nieces, nephews, all, you know, wonderful family. But there's something a little bit different of having your own children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't sort of view them as foster children, to be honest. They're our family. And that comes with its brilliant you know all the fun and all the the spirit that they bring but it also 
brings challenge as well. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, is what being a father is, is trying to support them, provide safety, guidance, love, you know, when things are tough, trying to be there through them. So, you know, in conclusion, and I'll, you know, it's that heart that you feel. It's very hard to describe, but if anything happened on your heart, I can find myself getting emotional, I would, mm-hmm. would melt, you know. Sure. So I think that's what that father thing is, um, Andrew. It's hard to, it to, to, to um, describe, but it's very special. And Harold, if, you, if it's okay to ask oh. you the same question, if it's not too much to ask you. Um, I think for me, maybe again, it's the ages of the young people we take mm-hmm. in that that, you know, I suppose I would see, I don't know how to explain it, fatherhood as like a continuum, like mm-hmm. from birth onwards and mm-hmm. it continues all your life. Whereas we have these children usually from 15, 16 onwards. Mm-hmm. So for for. Uh, and you know we we have the dual role of having some Irish children mm. and then after the the Afghanistanian boys, and in fairness, the Afghanistanian boys have probably have very good role models of fathers. Okay, they're not they haven't they're not in the care system because of you know the typical issues that that children come into care for. They're mm. in for a different reason, and you often can you can evidence in those boys. Uh, the love and the, how they've been loved mm-hmm. and, and sort of the whole emotional and challenges that come for them, that present for them usually on a day-to-day basis is to do with them having to come flee their country. Sure. And then you have the Irish children who may not have had that good role model of a father. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and what I'm trying to say is that we come in at a point in their lives then mm-hmm. at sort of 15, 16, where some of them will have a good, had, a, had a good role model, others won't. And I see my role as somewhere kind of in the middle there of almost being like a, a support or a kind of a sounding board. I, I suppose I'm just thinking more of they will come to us with questions and what do you think about this and what do you think about that? Um, or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. And it's either in a nice way saying, do you think that's a really good idea? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, that is a good idea. Or my work permit didn't come. What am I going to do? Well, we're going to do this. So I see it sort of as a, almost like a team thing, you know, that, and Michael is part of that of as course. well. So it's not the same sort of, it's, it's, it's a fatherhood in, in, in a different kind of way, almost um, as a supportive role and hopefully drawn on my own experience of being parented as well mm-hmm. um, on, and taking some of them and maybe not taking some of sure. the, the things I would have seen with my own father, you know. So it's probably not as, not as uh, emotionally based there as some might, might sound a bit harder, but it is just that mm. role of being that kind of, almost like someone they can lean on, you yeah. know, that kind of a way. Yeah. But I do think what you said there about your own father and that role model stuff and, you know, it's so important for young children and young people in care and whether whatever way that manifests itself in your relationship, mm-hmm. it sounds like it really sounds like fatherhood to me and, and being yeah. a father, you yeah. know, it's guiding people yeah. to the next po- point in their life. And yeah. that's what it is, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I suppose I, exactly. And, and I suppose I can only take it up at the point that the boys come in. You mm-hmm. can't you know, treat them like three and four year olds or try and recapture that mm. bit, you know, yeah. so. 
Yeah. But I, I think in, in, in relation to what Harold's saying, if, if I may just add two things, you know, you also, and I, I hear this from my brothers and sisters and friends, you know, it is about your past, of course, that influenced you, but life has moved on and mm-hmm. things are different as well. So it's not always reaching to the way when I went to school how things were done or the you know think the family dynamics have changed I suppose and and it is to be very aware of that and I think secondly listening to Harold it comes into my mind is that for us I suppose another dimension to it is on trying to understand particularly the lads that we have at the moment from other countries understanding a little bit about their culture, where they've come from, their families, yes. w- how they were reared. And that can be very different to the Irish inverted commas model yes. of family. Yes. So it's it's just an extra dynamic as a fatherhood. Mm. You have to uh, navigate or get support from your team, etc., etc., yeah. you know. Hi, I'm Paul Harrison. You're listening to Stories from Foster Care. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If we could move on a little bit to the, the, the young people that you have supported and you have supported and you have in your care and, and uh, I'd be really interested. I don't know much about what it's like for young people to come into this country mm. unaccompanied, having left a war torn situation and you guys are picking up that f- them from that point. Mm. What's that initial stage like for those young people? And I'm sure it's different for all of them. But could you tell me a little bit, in a general way, mm. about what they might have faced or what they've endured to get to Ireland? But the yeah. two lads that we have, um, and they didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one is from uh, a country area in, in Afghanistan, apparently about two hours, give or take, outside Kabul, the city. And the other is um, uh, from Kabul as well. I, I, I'm just being respectful, not saying their names. Course, Is that okay? That's, that's why I yeah. So, like, listening, their journeys have been similar from mm. what we can gather, um, and certainly from the social workers that have supported them when they got here, is that they've travelled uh, in a group from Afghanistan. I re- what struck me is that I remember both of them saying, I, I assume this is accurate, because maybe interpreting it wrong, is that within that group, they don't know who the leader is. Okay. Uh, I think they pay somebody to, to get them through so many countries, seven or eight countries. They went from, I think, Afghanistan to Iran, Iran to Turkey, to Austria, to Italy, to wherever, Switzerland, uh, all by foot or car, or hopping on trains, and then eventually they ended up in Cherbourg. And in my ignorance, again, I thought they would be sort of going straight from Cherbourg onto the boat. They were there for a few weeks. You know, it's all planning, um, you know, how to get onto the boat uh, safely. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, I can't honestly remember in detail, but I know they were both a number of weeks in Cherbourg. Mm -hmm. And then they got on a ship and arrived in Ireland and literally were picked up. You know, mm-hmm. um, would that be it, Harold? Or is there yeah. anything I'm missing? You know, that's more or less mm-hmm. the journey. Mm-hmm. That has to be very impactful because they sometimes talk about their experiences. They call it in the jungle. I think it's like mm. the forest. 
being on the trains, the way people would treat them positively or negatively, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, yeah. survival rich. Sure. Yeah. You know? Andrew, it's, it's, they're like clones of each other, really, yeah. in a lot of it. Their stories are very yeah. similar. And since the boys have come to us, they have brought other friends to stay, mm-hmm. you know, for weekends and things. And the stories are identical. Mm. Okay. It, it, very similar as what Michael said. And it's, it's sometimes it's easy to lose sight of what they've experienced when yes. they're with you for seven or eight months. Mm. And but they would have great resilience, I think. Sure. I mean, to, as, as young men to have gone through that and then come to a new country. Mm-hmm. And also... As Harold is talking there, I'm just thinking there it's it's very important through that journey and they're here that they still have connections with their family at home. And that can be very tough. Yeah. Like we take things for granted. One lad that's from the country, they've no internet, etc. Yeah. etc. His family is there. I think there's about five or six or seven kids, mum and dad. Um but he he was very resourceful through Facebook track down an aunt that lives in a city mm-hmm. who can have internet and then she goes up every now and then on a bus home he connects with her and at least he knows how, okay. how things are whereas the other lad is from the city or a city in Kabul uh, sorry the city of Kabul and um, they have internet and they have WhatsApp, so he can contact them. Okay. So it's a, it's all of that sort of yeah. connectivity for them and as father figures and parents supporting them through mm. that as yeah. well, you know. Because yeah. their culture, you know, it's so important and rightly yeah. so for them not to lose that. Absolutely, you know? 100%. And so, so we, they come to Ireland. What happens to those young people in those first initial days or weeks when they come into Ireland? Well, I can only speak for the two lads. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, um, what they, they came, it was still kind of COVID time. Mm-hmm. So what happened was they had to go into quarantine for three weeks okay. in Dublin, in, in, a, in a residential in Dublin. And I would imagine for them, it, they probably didn't know a lot of what was happening. It's mm-hmm. not maybe that they weren't told, but we find that we tell, even with a, an interpreter's information is shared, but they could ask you the next day the same information. So I think maybe with all that has happened, them, and again, it could be a cultural thing, they like it to be said a number of times. So they came into care, they were received into care, and they were in quarantine for three weeks. Okay. And then once those three weeks were over, we were asked to consider the boys as placement so that's what happened so the first night that there was a week between them coming Mm -hmm. and uh, the first lad that came the night he arrived that was the the night I had a a young Afghani boy up just to to chat to him just Mm -hmm. to help him and maybe answer answer questions for us and him sure and um, that night he was saying no he didn't want to stay he wanted to go back to Dublin okay and we said well listen you know let's talk about it in the morning Mm -hmm. And this this wee friend took him to the mosque the next day, mm-hmm. and he came home from that mosque, saw the community of people, and said, "No, I'm fine here." Okay. Whereas the other boy came a week later with the same story, "I'm not staying here," mm-hmm. and I think it took him about two months to settle. Okay. And when I say settle, he wasn't in any way challenging, but every day he would say, "When am I going back to Dublin?" Okay. And we were kind of being told, "Well, there's no placements in Dublin. Okay. He's going to have to stay." And we were saying, "Well, he needs to hear that, mm. you know." And once he heard it, 
from now he was being told that it's difficult to get a placement and we're not sure and all of those kind of things but once uh, a team leader said to him sorry there is no placements in Dublin you mm-hmm. have to stay yeah that was it it was kind of he settled and this might know? this might sound a bit bit of a strange question but do they un- do they have an understanding of foster care and what that means in terms of an IR- I I think the difficulty is the system Andrew in mm-hmm. that there's supported lodgings, there's foster care. And within that, there are different payments to the young people. Okay. So if you come in under a supported lodgings system, you get X amount. You know, the, the young person is given more responsibility with money. Mm-hmm. You know, they get a, mo- a higher allowance. Whereas if you come in through foster care, so sort of, you know, 18, and they both can fall into that. Between okay. 16 and 18, you can fall into both foster care or supported lodgings. And with supported lodgings, the young person is encouraged to manage a better, a bigger budget okay. and therefore do more and pay more for themselves. Whereas the foster care system, they really just get a um, pocket money mm-hmm. and the foster care is responsible for everything. Yes. And that's the difficulty for the boys because they their network is massive. Mm. And as I said, the journey to Ireland starts before they leave Afghanistan. Yes. So all these networks are, are, are started up the minute they arrive. Okay. And they're being told, oh, my friend in Dublin got a, a brand new iPhone. Mm-hmm. And my friend in Dublin or Cork is getting 100 euro a week. Why am I only getting 30? Yeah. You know, so it's all the mixed stories sure. they get. And it's not because necessarily one is getting more than the other. I it might you. look like that, yeah, but actually they're not. So that was for the first few months. That was yeah. it wasn't because cha- I suppose, again, my work, I'm used to hearing those stories. Yes. And we certainly got support mm. from our link worker mm. and the boys social worker around that. And we felt we were able to manage that. Yeah. Harold is absolutely right. We got very good support, and mm-hmm. I, I want to reiterate that from mm-hmm. the social work department and social care team, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. I personally have nothing but praise for the system. Um, however, mm-hmm. uh, just in case any, you know, politicians or policymakers are listening to this, when these two lads reached eighteen, mm-hmm. that's it. Yes, you know. So, you know, fortunately, at the moment, Harold and I can fund ourselves and we've chosen that the boys themselves want to stay. That's the most important thing. Okay. But, you know, and we have the out of courtesy, professional courtesy, the support of the system. But those lads don't have anybody. And how many more do they not have? As in, there is no state they're caught up in getting citizenship. Mm-hmm. You know, we're... Thankfully, we we can help them to the best of our ability to navigate that. But I have this whole issue that that it is not right at 18 that everything, and and I just categorically have to say, this is not the professionals, this is the policymakers and political system that really needs to be looked at, you know, to support people like our two lads and hundreds or maybe thousands more in that situation. I don't know if I make sense, but I, I just feel very strongly about that. No, you absolutely are. Can so, I just sorry, mm-hmm. clarify that the reason our boys mm-hmm. don't receive after anything after 18 is they were not a full year in care. Yes. Okay. And that's a kind of a, that's a, a, going to be a dilemma, not even just for the young people who come from other countries, but Irish children yes. as well, 
who are not in care one full year before their 18th birthday. Therefore, they're not entitled to they're not entitled to an allowance. They're entitled to support, as in they can drop in a kind of a drop in support, mm-hmm. but they're not entitled to any funding. Um, and that's the issue. And 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 just again, just to sort of say that, yes, um, while there's probably thousands of other young men, predominantly it seems to be men, certainly Afghani men, who would fall into they would they would have a, they would have direct provision, they mm. would get basic allowance. But I suppose we see it full on because our boys are in our house mm. and we help them with everything as if they were our children of course whereas the other boys who come to visit them you know their friends who yeah. come from direct provision i'm not being funny but they're like lost souls yeah. oh, they no. don't have that level yes they are getting support but it's almost from a distance and whereas we're kind of i, I suppose it's like a family we're behind them we're holding them there, you know, with the ups and downs and, and making the calls for them. And we're lucky enough and I'm lucky enough to, to have links mm. through my work and, and know just from my work who to ring or what to ring or to find information. And I'm not sure the other um, young people. And again, just to finish off on that, our one of our arguments for for keeping our boys on, apart from they wanted to stay mm. on, mm-hmm. um, was that... We just felt if we if our boys moved out at 18, they would have had only four or five months with us. Yeah. And they were just settling in. Mm. And I mean, I don't know what their mental health would be like yeah. or any of those other things. Absolutely. If we, it would, I think it would be abandoning them mm. at, after that length of time. You know, so we felt mm. it's better to do as much as we can for the two we have than try and help a little bit more, you know, a lot more. So... If you two weren't who you are and weren't available and committed to these boys, what would be their option? What would happen? Well, they were offered initially, haven't been with us. I mean, I know they're not related, but they haven't been with us uh, about six months. Mm. We live in Sligo. They were offered uh, direct provision in Kinsale and Waterford separately. Okay. And the boy said, absolutely no way. Well, it was no, it was a no brainer because they were they they were they weren't moving anywhere in their heads. Mm-hmm. No way were they. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to make sure that they weren't losing out yeah. by staying with us, yeah. and that it wasn't our decision to keep them. It had to be the boys' mm-hmm. decision, and we had to outline to them what they might lose out on and what they would gain. And they had to come up: do we want to stay or go? So we anything that was offered to them, we told them, and they said, "No way, are we going down there?" And then they came back and said, "Actually." we can get them beds in, in Sligo so they could come and go to your house. Um, and while that was, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was an offer that was, you know, if they wanted to mm-hmm. go, it, was a, it would have been a great option for them. But they still said, no, we, we don't want, they would say, we don't want to go to a hostel because they would have had lots of friends in hostels and knew kind of what the setup was. Mm. So... Um, so that was that, that was a decision made. They said no, even in Sligo, where they could have gone, continued going to school and continued to have contact with us. Um, they said no, and we were happy with that because we okay. felt that, you know, it was we could support them better in the house than at a distance. Mm-hmm. And education for them? Are they can they get involved in education? What well, is their at, options? At the moment, uh, again, they're going to a fantastic school in Sligo. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, to us as, a, as gay fosters, uh, the, an open door, my God, was, is, was just amazing to, to work with them. But more importantly for the two boys, um, when they came 
last year, Christmas, uh, they went into transition year. And really that was with the premise of settling in, you know, learning the language, getting a feel of life and home and all the rest of it. And then, you know, talking with the principal and the staff and with the boys, uh, they've gone back, they've gone into fifth year. Mm -hmm. So like there'll be 20 uh, when they finish that even cert, but you know, hey ho, mm -hmm. they're very. They love going. I've never seen two love going to school. Wow. There's absolutely no <laughs> issue. They have. It's a very cultural diverse school. They uh, and you know, isn't that right, Harold? They're they're. It's a joy mm -hmm. school. It's not yeah. an issue. You right. know, uh, per well, se. Well, I think too. Um, they were adamant that they wanted to get a qualification. Yeah. Okay. That was their kind. And again, it was about sitting down and talking to them. These are your choices. You're 18. You can mm. go and try and find a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Or you can go back to, to your, your leave and cert applied and still earn some money. And, and I think the thing about is not to forget maybe a little bit about the boys and what they experience is there seems to be a lot of pressure to send money home. Yes, mm. absolutely. And um, so any money they earn goes home. Okay. And any money that we give them then as pocket money is mm. kept. And, and we obviously support them in, in other ways. So that's where, so their pressure or their issues don't end just because they arrive mm. in Ireland. And we've arrived and, and we're safe now it, it it's still they still have to send money back home and so no money comes to you guys no no that's that i suppose go back to the point that i was advocating yeah. earlier yeah and you know oh, more, sorry for going up. more mm -hmm. importantly it doesn't come to the boys yeah <laughs> and doesn't not us yeah <laughs> you know so, really yeah yeah so yeah. you're 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 fo you're looking after the boys yeah as best you can out of your own yeah. pocket yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's a really important kind of thing to kind of note, especially in light of our current situation mm, in relation yeah. to foster carers and some of the challenges financially that they face. And you two are really and truly stepping up and, and really um, giving back above and beyond. Mm. Um, and, and that's something not necessarily to be hailed, Andrew, because I'm sure if there's any foster carers listening to this, well, will say because I know I, I work in that area. Mm -hmm. It's it is, you're right, the 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 economy everything at the minute mm -hmm. isn't doesn't make it easy. But I will say, and I'm not saying in any big head of way, we're very, very fortunate that we can do that. It mightn't be as easy if we couldn't afford to do it. Mm -hmm. We probably might not be able to because mm -hmm. the boys like good stuff, of you know what I mean? And <laughs> rightly so. Yeah. Um and so, you know, but we, as I said, we're, we're very, very fortunate. And I, and I appreciate people are not as fortunate mm -hmm. as us mm -hmm. and, and may not be able to do it. But I think in order to encourage people to foster mm -hmm. gay, straight, whatever, yes. the, the system needs to be equitable, you know. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and I think just thinking about this and listening to the conversation, to be fair, Harold mentioned earlier to the two lads, I mean, you know, with social media, with everything, they're so connected of their own communities. I mean, one of them could be talking to somebody in Istanbul, you know, like yes. it's, it's, it's a different world yes. to when I was brought up. But the point is, they are talking about, well, some other foster boy or girl's family might be getting X, Y, and Z's. 
why can't you know they they may not understand yes. the sort of the politics of it but there's an inequity there straight away yeah. you know yeah. and the opportunities for those two lads are not the same as others if Harold and I weren't very fortunate to be able to try and give them what we can mm-hmm. you know and that's not trying to be martyrs of ourselves no, of we've making that choice and I said uh, when we started here you asked me what fatherhood is about. It's what they give us, yes. you know. Mm. But but I just don't like that part of the system. Of course. And that's negative, and yet so much is positive about the support you get from the fostering system. Yeah. And you know? you're still getting some supports, yeah? No? Well, we would still have a link worker, mm. but... You know, they're, they're, they're really, really busy. So mm-hmm. we don't technically have, from yeah. their perspective, we don't have somebody placed with you us. Don't. You know, technically. Yeah. Um, that's not to say we couldn't phone them. And we, oh, you know, yeah. um, and, and the boy's social worker is finished with them, mm-hmm. but again has made herself available mm-hmm. if we ever want to phone her, you and, know. And I'm listening to your story and it's, it's, um, it's so similar to many other foster mm-hmm. carers who mm-hmm. at the strike of midnight on the 18th birthday, life has changed and those supports are not as accessible, mm. they're not as av- readily available, or they're not as involved. And it's a really important thing for us to think about in the fostering community about how we manage that piece, mm. and especially for young people who yeah. come from overseas and mm-hmm. who are so vulnerable. And I think it's also important that the policymakers and the legislators think about it, mm-hmm. you know, because um, I believe, you know, from a, a children's rights point of view regardless where you live and where you're from mm-hmm. there should be equity for everybody you know and it's just unfortunate and those two lads have made a phenomenal sacrifice to travel from Afghanistan to come to a country which thankfully is supporting them mm-hmm. and supporting them very well but they could be lost as Harold said you know lots of their friends come and stay in that and, 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 you know, I know everybody's trying to do the best, but it's still not right. Sure. That's my view anyway, you know. I can hear that loud and clear. Yeah. You know, very well said, uh, Michael. What keeps you going? And I know you said earlier on, you're, you know, your family, you have a great support network, you have each other, and you can see the change in the boys. I've heard all of that, and you've seen the progress that they've made. But on those days where you think, oh, my God, what is the part of you that goes? There certainly has been benchmarks, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> There's been benchmarks mm. maybe with some of the young people that mm-hmm. we've had mm-hmm. and some of the challenges that we've experienced mm-hmm. that anything since then has been okay. Okay. Mm. And I think I the fact when, when we, as I said, when we, when we started this first, our very y- first young person, Michael was abroad, so I had that young person by myself um, working full time. You know, there was, you know, which was which was fine. And again, it was, as Michael says, not making martyrs, but that was just my choice. And, and it was pretty difficult at mm. times, pretty difficult. Yeah. And I suppose since then, Michael has come back and maybe we've kind of well i think we've been lucky but we have also kind of considered the young people coming to us i mean i don't think we've ever refused mm-hmm. anyone you know because mm-hmm. the demand isn't huge believe it or not for okay. the the young people that you know the over 18s don't tend to want to come into supported lodgings and then the 
young people coming from other countries don't tend to want to leave Dublin. Mm-hmm. So you can see why sure. us in Sligo maybe aren't, there isn't a huge demand. But I think having maybe the two of us been there mm-hmm. and, you know, the benchmarks yes. and also that sort of looking at the, the, the needs of the young person coming in. Yeah. That you're matched with that, yeah. you know, that you, that you feel as a couple that you can manage that young person and that that is a good match for everyone. Because we also have to consider, you know, we, we have a, a young boy place for, this, for the last two weeks. We would have had to consider the needs of the other two mm. Afghani boys, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and there are times like we, you know, over the summer we had, um, you know, an Afghani boy just for a two or three week respite. And I suppose I'm just making a point that you just don't assume anything, you know, don't assume that they'll all get on because yes. they're all from the same country. Mm-hmm. They didn't yeah. really get on at all. Yeah. This young boy was um, a, a different ethnicity from within okay. Afghanistan. Okay. So had different sort of values around his religion and that, which our two boys didn't particularly like. So okay. it, it's, it sort of encompasses everything. Yeah. It works for different... You have to look at different angles, I suppose. And Sounds like every day is a school day for you, by... by um, it can be, yeah. yeah. Certainly when mm-hmm. certainly when a new young person joins, it mm-hmm. can be. Yeah. Um, and... I think also, as hard as that, what, what keeps you going is, I mean, each other. There's yes. no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... Personally, you know, I'm been a bit of a reflector, but but as Harold talked about, when I was abroad for three and a half years, um, it's 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 much. I don't know what the words are coherent or better that we're together mm-hmm. as a couple in the house physically, yes. supporting who we who we have and supporting each other through yeah. that through discussion and and advice and reflection. I also, like, part of me, I, I sort of laugh, you know, what keeps you going? Last night, I was thinking, what's keeping me going, you know? Um, it's really to see them happy and content. Mm, yeah. You know, that sounds very cliche, but that is the truth. To feel that they're safe, to see their transition, to see the joy as well in them, the fun we can have together, all of that. You can't, but it sounds awful to say that, mm, buy that, yes. you know? And that's what keeps you going. And I also, in conclusion, would say self-care is really, really important. You know, uh, whatever that is, mm-hmm. I, I, I took up yoga over a year ago and, and I find that really helpful for me personally. But whatever it is for, for, for Harold's a great uh, conversationalist and great chatter and has great friends and loves to go out and meet friends and tea and that that's all self-care, Absolutely. you know. Yeah. So I think that's important, isn't mm, it? Hugely you important. Know? And I think going back to the very beginning, Andrew, of that whole fatherhood piece or being a father, it's what keeps you going to is them leaning on you from yeah. time to time. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a bit selfish, but feeling, wanting to be needed by, and, and that there are times that they're, you know, it's lovely to see them developing the independence and getting the skills that they have. Mm-hmm. That is brilliant to see. Yeah. And every young person, everyone should be entitled to that. Mm-hmm. But it's also the times that they lean on you for things, yeah. um, whether that's advice or whether that's a lift at 11 o'clock at night. That's part of uh, I'm being, being uh, willing or semi-willing to do, and it depending mm-hmm. on what time of the day or night or how many runs already yes. you've made in and out. You know, that's part of 
the journey that's part of the whole it's a package isn't it yes i i also think what's really important that keeps you going is when you get to an emotional level with them yes that they can feel comfortable to tell you where they are mm-hmm. or what's bothering them or if they'll cry or if they're whatever you know mm-hmm. i mean it's not always about the joy but yeah. also then to be able to think if you can help these lads in some small way through their physical and emotional development uh, to make them stronger in this world and and whatever they are just gorgeous mm. andrew you couldn't mm. but love them yes sure you couldn't Harold. Mm. but uh, but it it's it, you do need resilience yourself or you something do. i don't 100%. know it's not for the as every parent yeah. does you know but i think another part of the full you never get rid of us now andrew <laughs> sorry <laughs> another component of the fatherhood thing is it just it's, it may not be significant but you talked, you know, it's, you know, with, with we've, we've, as I said, a mixture of Irish and, and Afghani boys. With the Afghani boys, if they're being very emotional, mm-hmm. it's managing that piece I find a little bit difficult okay. because the things get lost in translation, right. i.e. the language barrier is mm-hmm. huge. So they're crying in front of you. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, if it was an Irish child, and this is about me yes. feeling a wee bit better that with an Irish child you can talk or you can make a gesture that mm-hmm. is supportive or seen mm-hmm. as supportive. With the Afghani boys, it's difficult sometimes to use language as a comfort okay. because they may not understand what you're mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. And sometimes you can feel helpless if there's, you know, if they're very upset um, to be able to to do that piece through um, without using words. Yeah. And so it's that communication piece. So I suppose that difficulty of being a father at that point, yeah. sometimes you can feel, am I doing anything right here? Mm-hmm. What can, you know, the, the, in, the instinct is to reach out and to mm-hmm. hug or to say something in your language that, that's comforting. With the boy, with the Afghani boys, that's really difficult. Okay. It sounds to me that you have a very rich family life, a very rich father figure fatherhood experience going on and I'd just like to compliment both of you on that and really say it's been a privilege to talk to both of you about that and to share so much of your your lives with us and a little bit of the the boys lives I can't only imagine how 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 challenging it can be but equally how joyful it can be as well and I think you've really given us a lovely picture of of your lives and I'd say to thank both of you actually personally because I think it's it's not for everybody and it's not something that everybody can do so yeah and you're highly skilled in what you do so I think we might close off there thank you so much for for your time and it was a real learning experience for myself and I hope for our listeners so thanks Michael thanks Harold thank you thank so you. much Andrew thank you. that was a really illuminating discussion I learned a lot from Michael and Harold I hope you enjoyed listening Join us next time on Stories from Foster Care.